For those of you married or in a significant relationship, do you remember the first time you intentionally loitered around him or her? You just like found yourself spending more time, even if it didn't make sense or it wasn't rational. Maybe it was at a social event. Um, you know, you're, you're over there, they're talking with their friends, you're, you're talking with your friends, you know, and, and you're thinking, I, I don't know how to do this, and so you, next thing you know, you're just like kind of standing there, like waiting, drinking, it's like, oh, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't see you there, did you bump into me? That was a, such an accident, um, hi, and then so forth, and you just linger, you want to make time for that person. Youth, Young adults, you've been there, right? You're there right now, some of you. Um, you're at a games night, right? Or you're getting out of class, and you, you could pack your bag up really fast, like done, out, to the bus, but you take your time. You're slow putting the things in. You're looking over your shoulder. You're like waiting. What's, why? Aren't they supposed to walk by right now? So you wait a little longer, then they walk by just as you're getting up, like it's a coincidence. And then you just hang out. Or maybe um, jump, jump forward 40 years. Um, you get up before her, like usual. You get the coffee started. Uh, you're in your favorite chair. Uh, she grabs her coffee. And just slowly, as the day just does its thing, it unfolds. And you enjoy the rhythm, the unforced dance of getting ready for the day. Um, this is, I'm jumping maybe 60 years, like the unforced rhythms of getting ready for the day. All of the parents are like, there's no such thing. What are you even talking about? No, 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 like jump way into the front. Here we go. There's unforced dance of getting ready for the day, the small talk. But you have this small quiver of excitement because today is Friday. And most Fridays, almost every Friday, you and your spouse go for a walk down by the river. You walk. You talk about the grandkids, you pray for them, it's good. And it's like you're joined at the hip. We have these kinds of, this kind of reality, this kind of instinct that is in all of us. We, we loiter, we, we linger, we hover around the people that are close to us or the people that we want to get close to. And yes, yes, I know that there are those moments of just give me my own time and my own space. And some of you are like, I, don't, I can't picture that event right now in my life. But we're not talking about those. Lingering happens. Um, when we're, we're drawn into the presence of another person, be it their charisma, their, their beauty, their humor, their mystery, their conviction and their passion, whatever it might be. Something interesting happens also in that moment, in those moments. That the more time, the more space, the more proximity that you're spending, this, you start to have these changes of mind. One day you wake up and Taylor Swift isn't so bad. <laughs> you know? Sushi was forever off the table and, and now you find yourself having an open mind to it. Or, you know, taking it even in a slightly different direction, less to the people and more to just the, in general. You know, you, you pressed like on that one video, that one social media thread, 
And now, that's the only kind of content you read. Nothing else is true except whatever trail, rabbit trail you found yourself down. We get ourselves attached to things. We get ourselves attached to people. We, we naturally get joined at the hip, so to speak. That's the nature of abiding. Um, the Greek word, meno, um, it, it describes this image really, really well. And in John chapter 15, this word is said 10 times. It's like stated over and over again. And it means to stay, to remain, to, to loiter, to abide. It's where you hang out. Where do you hang out? Where, where do you loiter? What, what are you attached to? today. Um, and, and why do we care about this? Well, where, where you hang out and who you hang out with matters. It shapes you. It changes you. It creates a certain kind of fruit in your life. Whether you plan it or not, what you abide in is what nourishes you. Last week, we took a look at John 15, 1 to, 5, 1 to 5. And there were three promises that I kind of talked about through that uh, passage. Now, the first one was, God will prune you so that you bear more fruit. Without focus, without being constrained and directed in our lives, it's all leaf and no fruit. God prunes and trims us back so that we can bear much fruit. The second point was, without Jesus, you will not bear good fruit. You will not bear fruit. And the third was that fruit will naturally follow abiding in Jesus. The fruit will follow. I challenged us to commit to a season of focused prayer for the purposes of growing in our abiding, to, for us to abide, trusting that fruit will follow. And today, we will continue that conversation, but we're going to go a little bit deeper. Um, what exactly is abiding? What is, what's the reality there? What's the experience? How do we get more? What, what is John talking about? It, it can seem quite mysterious. Um, John, the Gospel of John, is full of these interesting back-and-forth language that can feel a little bit overwhelming and a little bit mystic, even. Um, but today, I hope that as we untangle this beautiful imagery, we'll start to see how really, truly, deeply important this truth is. And that if we get it wrong, we risk missing the power, we, we, we risk missing the joy and the life, the love that comes from this kind of relationship. A miracle that if we truly believe it, if, that we, if we hold on to it, it changes everything. And it can usher in, even for some of us today, a new life today, this very day. So we're going to get into this passage, and I want us to explore what, what is going on here. It matters because what we abide in is what nourishes us. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open to uh, John chapter 15. Um, I'm just going to walk my way through the passage that was just read. 
We're going to take our time exploring it and getting into it. Okay, so we have verse 5. Um, ch- chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So here is this declarative statement. It is clear, it is strong, it is bold. And essentially what is happening here is we are being told that you are not the vine. You are not the vine, you are branches. We humans are branches. We're not the vine. And I was trying to think, like, how do I explain this better so that it can, it, it can sink in? So I know that you're self-reliant, and that's good, that's great. You wake up, you do your job, you make choices, you make the money, you raise the kids, you get the education, and yes, like millions of other people, you can do this all on your own, being independent, being a strong personality, you can take care of it. You're okay, but you're not the vine. You are a branch. We are all branches, like it or not. If, if we think that we are our own vine, we, we fool ourselves. Because there's this dynamic reality with every human. All of us are dynamically and, and intrinsically connected to something, to ideas, to philosophies, to training, to education, to families and family systems, to social constructs. And some of you might push against this, and I get that. But, but let me try to explain it this way. Um, if you were able this morning, you probably put your pants on. You probably put your pants on with one foot, then the other foot. And chances are very high that you did it correctly. When's, when's the last time you put your pants on wrong? You don't have to put your hand up and tell anyone that. <laughs> it's like, how did these end up backwards? Um, chances are high that you did it right that it was instinctive, that it was natural, that it made sense. It didn't take any effort without realizing that there was a mom or a dad or a brother or somebody that sometime in your past nurtured you along to being like, this is how you put pants on. This is how you wear pants. And you got it wrong a couple of times. And your, your mom or your dad corrected you or just let you, let you go. <laughs> The amount of times I've seen like my niece or nephew back when they were young, they're like running out. I'm like, that, that's a fly on the back. They, 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 and they don't notice. They don't care. You know what? I'm not going to say anything. We're just going to let that play out. But most of us, probably all of us today, did not show up like that. We, we grew up in a world where we were connected to the vine of this is how you survive in Canada. This is how you be human. Whether we realize it or not, we've been, we've been shaped and nourished by, our, by these ideas, by these philosophies, by this way of being. Or language. Take language, for example. It's common, it's like second nature for us to just have a conversation. But if you've been in another world area, that, there are barriers, there's confusion, there's frustration. You're using hand talk and you're trying to gesture because the words are failing you and there's a frustration there. We grow up in a world where there's these, this language that grounds us, that makes sense of the world, and when we use these words, it, it helps us even make sense of the world. Like, it's sometimes it's when we even say a thing, then it's like, oh, that's what I actually believe? Right? There's, there's this 
reality in our language, but that it's also built on a foundation. And yeah, if you've ever been in another space where no one understands what you're saying, like that bus when I wasn't quite going the right way in Thailand, and not a single person spoke English, because I, I, I went on the cheap bus, you know, the local bus. You've got to go local. Like, why would you? Anyways, well, I know why. Um, anyways, it all worked out. I, I got off at the right stop, almost. Um, anyways, language matters, right? But its foundation is because we've been, we've been um, attached to, we've, we're connected to something. We are not vines. Um, and we're extracting our way of life from something or someone. Which makes Jesus' claim all the more dramatic. Because he's, a, he's another human making a claim that he is the vine and that all the other humans are branches. That he isn't just a vine, he is the vine, the true vine when we see it in verse 1. I am the true vine. This is a powerful statement. This is one of the many things that Jesus said that set him apart from the rest of humanity, that marked him as unique, as special, and as divine. I am the true vine. So this is, there's this another reality. So one, we are branches whether we like it or not. The other is, there are false vines. If Jesus took the time to say, I am the true vine, that is suggesting that there are false vines in our life and in our world that seek to be imposters, seeking to entice us to tap into them, to connect to those imposters, trying to get life from that. And it's so natural for us to get attached to things. Even us here as a church, or people that have attended church for a long time. So I'm, I'm talking to us, the churchgoers. It's easy for us to get attached to things and not to Jesus. We might get attached to a person, whether it's the pastor or the preacher or a teacher, or there's like an influencer, and we think, oh, if we can just hang out with the right, with the right kind of person, then it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to work out if I'm just in that crowd and I'm, I'm hanging out with that person instead of putting our attention on Jesus. Or in institutions, whether it's the church, government, university, the military, if we can just partner up with the right kind of institution that's doing the right kind of work in this world and that's what I connect to, that's where I get my source, that's where I get my life, everything's going to work out. Or the right social theories. You know, classic liberalism. If I just, classic liberalism is going to save us. It's going to save my life, our world. Right? Or critical theories, Marxism, capitalism, whatever the theory might be, whatever is in your face in social media or in the world. If I just attach myself to that and extract everything I can from that, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to survive. I'm going to live. We even attach ourselves to things to, to relics, to, to the Bible as, as an object, not as the living word, uh, to all sorts of whatever it might be, thinking if I, if I can just tap into that, spend time there, hang out with that thing, or uh, participate in that behavior or that pattern of life, it's going to be okay. 
that's where I'm going to get my life. Now, I'm not saying that some of these things are not okay and not good and not important for us to reflect on. But when we make those things the vine, when we let them be the imposter, it will leach and suck all of the life out of the branch and we will not bear fruit. Sometimes I've even thought, I've thought about this. Sometimes we even, we even attribute the fruit of other people, the good things that are going on in their life, their fruit, to being something that we try to attach to that we try to connect to somebody else's fruit, like the product of their lives. We're like, oh, that's great. I'll, I'll connect to that. But even that, the good fruit of somebody else's life is not your vine. It is not your vine. So this is the reality for us to, to wrestle with and come to accept that there is only one true vine and that vine is rooted in the soil of God himself. And God is the one that's pruning and organizing and fashioning it so that the branches bear fruit and we are the branches. And that union with God can only happen when we are with the vine, when we are with Christ. This is the big idea of what it means for us to abide. And if we can have that understanding settle into our mind and in our heart that this is central and core to what it means for us to be fully alive with, with Christ, that's so good. This is, this is the reality. But let's continue on. So if we continue on in the passage, um, you'll see, so we go from that first passage where it says, I am the vine you are the branches. So that is the reality that is being proposed to us today. That is the thing for us to hold, hold our thoughts around. This is reality. But what kind of reality is this? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? And when I, when I look at these passages, I see four things that stand out to me. Four passages that kind of typify what's going on with what it means for us to abide, for us to be connected to the vine. And it's in verse 5, verse 7, verse 9, and 11. You don't have to write that down, and I didn't make it as a PowerPoint. I'm going to go through these things. Starting again, staying at verse 5. All right? On verse 5. And so how, how this connects, and I kind of see it as these, not necessarily four stages, it's not progressive, but there's these four components that are all taking place. There's spiritual life, life-giving words, a life of love, and the overflow of joy. So we have life itself, spiritual life. Then we have life-giving words, the words that bring life. And then we have a life of love, not just living, not just surviving, a life of love and the overflow of joy. So verse 5, it says, Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Spiritual life, abiding in Jesus is life. Jesus is everything. He is inviting us to an idea that is hard for us to wrap our heads around. That Jesus is everything. He's all of it. And somehow this man who walked and taught and did miracles is life. And when we attach ourselves to him, 
we have life. And, it, and, and fruit will follow. It is just a natural promise. So this is, where we, this is where we survive. This is where life comes from, is when we abide in Christ. And then in verse 7, it goes from here. It says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So kind of the second component is, is this life-giving words. That, so Peter and the disciples and many of the other followers of Jesus, they understood this. So in, in John chapter 6, there's this classic great story like where there's, there's Jesus providing miracles to the people, there's this huge crowd, there's a following, and then he starts to teach them really weird, hard things, like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part of me. And even those of you that are here right now and you're, like, new to the Christian faith, you're thinking, yeah, that's weird. What, what are you even saying right now, Trent? People wrestled with that, and then out of that, though, disciples started to leave, and then Jesus turns to, to Peter and says, like, are, are you going to leave too? And then Peter responds, Lord, to whom, to whom, can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus showed us that there's this grafting glue, that there's this connection to the vine, um, and and he combats Satan with this understanding in the wilderness. In Matthew uh, 4, verse 4, he says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of God. What did, what did Jesus mean by this? Jesus was, was teaching that there's the material side of the body, right? There's like, we need to eat, we need to sustain ourselves. But there's also this other element of who we are, our soul, our spirit, the, our, our inner being, and that requires a different kind of food. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is nourishment, it is healing, it is life-giving. On every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, and this isn't just God's word in Scripture, though this is beautiful and meaningful and necessary. And this is where we understand the story of God and his principles and, his, and what he's up to. And, 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 and we, we learn about his history and all of what's important. And we meditate on this and we learn it and we put it in our hearts and it transforms us. But it's not just words on a page. The Christian faith does not just believe in a book that has written words, but that these written words point to the living word. And that when we interact with the Bible, that the Holy Spirit is able to do something in our lives that allows the, Holy, that allows the words of God to become true to us in our inner being. Not just, not just a right idea, but an idea for us to live by, for it to be a part of us, for it to be integrated into our very thoughts and in our minds. And Jesus is saying that like, when, when my words remain in you, when they get into you, it's going to produce life and understanding and clarity, and it's going to nurture the life that I'm already giving by you abiding in me. So you're abiding in Jesus, But then you also, when you abide in his word, it's teaching and guiding you about that very life, about what it means to live this life. And this is exciting, and this is good, and it's nurturing, and it's all connected. 
believing his words, meditating on his words, allowing them to guide and nurture your prayer life is, is a very real and practical way for us to cultivate what it, what it looks like for us to abide well with the Lord. Um, next is in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's a life of love. Life-giving attachment now becomes a, a loving relationship, right? You're not just attached to life. You're attached to, to a love, to a, a nurturing relationship where there's love that's growing and growing and it tastes better and better and it's good and, and helpful and guiding and it expands your heart. It's a life of love. It's something for us to treasure and something for us to be so glad that we are not just living, but we have love. Drinking in this love because we are attached to Jesus. We're, we're incorporating his, his story, his teaching, his vision of reality into our very being. And the life of love is good and it's satisfying and it's helpful and it's, it's nourishment. It produces fruit. So we have, like, we have the spiritual life. We have life-giving words that guide and direct and, and vocalize what's going on, right? They, it, it helps us articulate this reality, which is hard to do sometimes. This is even me doing what I'm trying to do right now is kind of hard. I'm like, how do I get them to like see this, this poetic connection to tapping into the life of Jesus? But as the Father loved Jesus, and he loved the Father, and he's inviting us into the loving relationship with God himself. This, this is miraculous. This is a miracle. This is unique. This is a, an opportunity for Christians to articulate that this is different than any other faith system. That we actually believe that there is an invitation for us to, to be with God in love, with love. And then he says this in verse 11. I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So he's saying that my joy, his joy might be in us and that your joy may be complete. Um, he doesn't say that you are going to, so let me, I'm going to try to work through this, this one out here. He's not saying that if you connect to me, you're going to have joy. If you abide in me, you will have joy. Well, he is saying that. But what he's saying, there's something before that component that is critical. He's saying that his joy, his joy will be, um, what does it say? That my joy may be in you. And then from that, your joy may be complete. What we wrestle with, what I wrestle with, is I like the idea of abiding. I like the idea of all of this being connected to the very source of life. But then we want to kind of, we sometimes take out that middle bit and say, if I'm connected to the Lord, 
then my joy will be complete. If I'm with Jesus, if I'm with God, I'll have joy. Without recognizing that it's Christ's joy, it's his delight that becomes our delight. And that's kind of a complicated thing, but essentially our joy becomes his joy. And that's why when we read in verse 7, it kind of makes sense that he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This makes sense because his joy, his love, his life, his words are rewriting your DNA, rewriting the way you think about things so that we start asking from God exactly what God desires to give his people. We're asking, Lord, may I have more fruit in my life. May, may there be more joy. May there be more opportunity for me to articulate to other people the goodness of who you are, Jesus. We see that fruit naturally emerges from this intimacy, this spirit-filled connection, this holiness. And it brings us joy. And it glorifies God. As I was working through this passage, something stood out to me, and I still struggle with this. This is still a struggle for me. It's that, so, all of this is so that we bear fruit, right? We see that in the passage, so that you will bear fruit. But we aren't making fruit ourselves. We, and we don't even need fruit. We, we, as the branch, right? We don't need fruit because we are connected to the vine. The, the branch is connected to the vine, and that's where life is coming from. That's where it all stems out of that. We aren't dependent on fruit. We aren't requiring the outcome of our lives to be what gives us meaning. We are connected to Christ in the vine. That is the connection. And because of that, we bear fruit, and it's good fruit. This is a reorientation of my mind, and it's an invitation for us to be at peace, to be at rest, to not have to fight for fruit, for us to try to, with the, the clenched fists, try to make our lives work. Fruit is the goal, but it follows naturally from a life connected to the source, a life of love, a life of joy. How freeing is that? That is freedom. How liberating is it for us to completely trust in Jesus to produce the fruit that we've so longed to see in our lives? This abundance of life is experienced. This experience is being the branch connected to the only true vine. And yes, I apologize for like the level of complexity that I'm trying to wrestle through here with you. Um, this, this might feel a little bit mystical, right? But for those of you who believe, those of you who have chosen to hang out with Jesus, to loiter in his presence, you, you get it, right? This makes sense to you. That when, you, when, when you've held on for dear life to Jesus as your everything, everything else gets it's easier. It makes more sense. It doesn't make all problems go away, but it, it aligns things correctly. And we see that in the gospel. There's a lot of people that wanted to hang out with Jesus. They kind of showed up. They, they took a look. They waited for a miracle. And then they're like, oh, these are hard words. I'm out of here. They, they, they dipped their toe in. They hung out for a little bit. 
but they didn't stay. But there were those who heard the words of Jesus. They felt the truth of it. They felt the gravity of his words. Um, They felt the life that was in them. And they stayed. They lingered. They reached out just to be there a little longer, a little bit closer. They waited around for more. Is, is Jesus where you hang out? Is he your home or is, is he the quickie mart, you know, around the corner that you just pop in to grab something and then you leave whenever you can, as soon as you can? Maybe, maybe you've been hearing me today talking about abiding in Christ. This life connection, loving relationship with the Father, this overflow of joy that comes from him and produces fruit and you want it. Make today this day that you choose to go after that. Maybe you've been watching some of your Christian friends and you like what they have. You like what's going on in their lives. And sure, some of this might seem odd or a little bit off, but the fruit in their life is good. And you want to have that kind of connection to the divine as well. Maybe you've tried to Find your life or your love or your joy in all sorts of things. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you're tired. You're just, you're tired of trying to look for the thing that's going to solve it all. Stop trying anymore and come to Jesus, the one true vine. Today, Jesus is inviting you into a new life. John 14, 6 says this, I am the way. I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Come to him. Maybe you've been acting like the vine, right? You've been the one being in charge. Um, And then you're realizing like you're trying to save people. You're trying to solve all the problems. Trying to convince people that they're the branch and you're the vine. And you want that and you like the power and you're wrestling with it. But it is draining you. It is sucking you dry. There is nothing left in you. You need to rely on God instead and you need to let them rely on God instead. Couples, can I speak to you for a moment? If one of you is being the vine, if one of you is being like the trunk, the tree, and the other is the branch, you are both going to wither. She will never be enough if you've made her your savior. Husbands, you will... (laughs) You will suck all of the life, all of the joy, all of the hope out of the relationship if you've decided that it has to be her raised up high and elevated. She or he will never be enough. You are both branches and you both need to be attached to the true vine. Recommit your marriage to putting God first. Not each other, not the kids, not the plan. Jesus, trust that. 
Trust that that is the truth that Jesus has for some of you today, that if you trust him with that, fruit will follow, fruit in your relationship, fruit in your family, fruit in your children, because you are choosing to be about Jesus and Jesus first and only. Everything else gets to follow out of that. So what do we do about all of this information? Um, it, it all sounds great. This is good. But like, where do we go from here? How do we go home? Well, first I want to say this. Abide in the word. Abiding in the word. Pray the words of scripture. It was the words of Jesus that described the kingdom. And I'll finish with this. It was the words of Jesus that described the kingdom. It was his words that created reality for us to understand. It was through the words that, that God brought creation into being. It is with words that Jesus commanded demons to come out, the lame to walk, storms to be calm. Hang on to his words. Let them become your words. Let the, let the, the words of Christ become your words. And try that in prayer. Read scripture and then say, Lord, Make, make this not just an idea, but make this my prayer. Make this something that I am saying back to you, saying out loud these things to God. And then second, speak the words. What I mean by that is say the words that, that is going on in your life with Jesus out loud. Say the words back to him. There's something powerful in when we declare to others or in the presence of others, the goodness of Jesus. When we include Jesus in the conversation. Like, there are times when this feels really safe. Times like at a meal, or times when you're tucking your kids in for bed. That kind of time when it's like, okay, now we pray. But what would it look like to have a space, spontaneous space, where you talk to God about the goodness of Jesus in your life, in the presence of of another person. Give that a try this week. Mix in to your life, verbally including and thanking Jesus. There is something powerful and beautiful about including Jesus in a conversation as prayer. Um, I have for you, as we, as we head out, um, there's these little like prayer challenge cards, and they articulate these two little challenges that I would ask that you consider trying for this week. As we are entering into this season of prayer, entering into the season of Lent, these are small invitations for you to give something a try this week. If anything in this message stood out to you and you feel a sense of conviction, you want to be one of those people that says, I, th I think I've been connected to the wrong source of life. I need to connect to Jesus. Talk to me about that. Find one of our pastors. Pastor Stephen is here. There's myself, Pastor Laurel. There's other pastors, Pastor uh, Blaine and Brian. There's all sorts of wonderful people here that can have a conversation with you about what it means for Jesus to be your source of life. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, as we head from here, I just ask that you would help us remember the core things that we needed to hear today. May they sit deeply in our hearts. May they nourish and encourage us. And as we go, may your praise be on our lips, Jesus. May we talk about you. May we not be afraid to include you in conversation. 
Not just talking about you, but talking with you and to you in the presence of other people. Give us that insight and give us that courage. In your name, amen. Friends, it was so good to be able to spend time with you today. Uh, Would you stand to receive a benediction? Earlier, a couple of days ago, a couple weeks ago, I realized if I stay down there while I give a benediction, I can't see any of your faces. So that's why I'm I'm up here. Um, May you abide in Christ. May you abide in his words, and may those words produce life and love and healing and an overflow of joy so that you might bear good fruit today and always. Amen. The Lord